0: Hey, sweet friends, this is Andrea, and I'm your host for Inspire On The Go. I'm excited about the chance to talk about life, ministry, and our relationship with Jesus. I can't wait to see what God has in store. So grab a cup of coffee and join the conversation. Hey, everybody. Hope that you're doing really well today. I'm so excited to come to you today with a bonus episode. Uh, if you've been listening to Inspire on the Go this year, you know that we are doing some new things, and this is one of those. We're bringing you live teachings from our events, and today we're going to hear from Kathy Litton, who is with the SIN Network of the North American Mission Board. Last week on our podcast, uh, Kathy talked about her life and ministry and just so many beautiful things, so go back and listen to that podcast if you haven't had a chance, but today she's going to talk about the emotional healthy woman you're going to love this information it's going to help you in so many ways we have 30 minutes of her teaching and then it's going to kind of cut off but we're going to also share some additional resources so sit back relax grab that cup of coffee and enjoy Kathy Litton
1: okay now we're good thank you so much Andrew for that introduction um I really do love Arkansas. My mom was born in northeast Arkansas. My mom was from Monad, Arkansas. My dad went to Arkansas State. So I have some roots here. But I I have a confession to make as long as we're getting acquainted. And I rarely talk about when I'm getting ready to confess any place. But I feel like I'm safe here. So I own this. Football's a little flat right now, but that should have been a little bigger crowd right <laughs> there. I, I didn't hear one whoopie sui or anything. Okay, that was weak. But anyway, okay. I did move to Arkansas uh, in 2005 in northwest Arkansas, and I came uh, limping and very fragile. Uh, three years earlier, my husband, Rick Ferguson, who uh, was pastor at Riverside Church in Denver, Colorado, was killed in a car accident. And so, God had a calling on my life that brought me here and I moved to this state and I was greeted by some amazing people and amazing church family that I was there to serve, but they really served me by loving me well and helping me get to spiritual and emotional, uh, physical health really as I was part of that congregation, so I'm very, very, very grateful. I remarried 10 years ago another pastor. So you pastor's wives, you think if I ever get out of this, I'm never going back to it. <laughs> you, you just might go back to it. But I married Ed Lytton, and he pastors in uh, Sterling, Alabama. He's been in his church for 25 years. So God has just beautifully put our lives together. And I just want to tell you that it's no fairy tale when you have a second marriage. There's been a lot of hard work that's taken place, but the beautiful love that has come out of that has been such a blessing to Ed and I. It's been an amazing blessing. Um, and I'm very thankful, and I told this to Andrea, you know, I, I, while I wish I was in the, my 45-year marriage with Rick right now, but that wasn't my story. But God has put two good men in my life, two really good men in my life, and I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that. I'm getting ready to teach, in this stage of my life when I'm teaching at 63, it feels like everything I teach comes under these two headings. Things I learned the hard way, anybody? And things I wish a lot, learned a lot sooner, a lot sooner. I'm going to talk today about the emotionally healthy women, woman and what it means to be an emotionally healthy woman. Now, this is an area of personal development that really is a topic that's pretty new to most of us, and it's a topic that I I want you to see that the second chapter of the Harvard Business Review on Leadership contains, the second chapter is writing about emotional intelligence, which is another way to describe emotional health, but also this book, Resilient Ministry, is written by a group of of uh, writers that are writing about what makes a pastor resilient and healthy over time. The third chapter of this book is written about emotional health. So it is a topic that both is applicable in the corporate world, but it's also applicable in in the church and in the spiritual realm. Now, you've been given a handout, and this handout is not fill-in-the-blank, but I'm going to, like, back up the truck and drop a bunch of stuff on you, and I thought it would be better for you to have it in print as I'm talking than you trying to fill it all in. Look at that first statement there. Spiritual leaders' emotions and emotional health are on public display, and often we're not even conscious of it. We're being observed all the time as leaders, whether you're a pastor's wife or a leader, people are watching us and we're manifesting with behaviors, reactions, responses, attitudes, our emotional health. And more than we know, Our, emotion, our the people around us are conscious of it because we're displaying our emotional health. My Michael Hyatt had a blog four or five years ago and he talked about leadership, basically, and he said, As a leader, people observe what you do. The second thing they do is they make up stories to explain why you do certain things. Pastor's wife, anybody with me? And then they will exaggerate how we responded to things. So if we've gone into the nursery, whether you're a spiritual leader, pastor, or whatever, you've gone in the nursery and you're dealing with a situation maybe with your child and you feel like you've talked to, to them at a level two, it's gonna be turned around that that was a level six. You see what I'm saying? And so we need to be aware that our emotional health is on conscious. It, it's on, uh, people are conscious of our emotional health because it's on display all the time. This topic has become very important to me because I, my generation never addressed emotional health. Also, my journey with grief, I saw that within the Christian community, we struggle with dealing with complex emotions. And what the things that we might call the negative emotions, we just call them that anger, fear, sadness, we don't know what to do with, and we're really emotionally unhealthy in the middle of the most painful experiences of people's lives. And i have also seen how lack of emotional health, poor emotional IQ is affecting our churches and the leadership of our churches. We're going to be talking about lots of different kinds of scenarios today, but I think you'll leave here seeing that most church fights are coming out of poor spiritual maturity and emotional maturity. And so, now, one fear I have about talking about this is that somebody might think, this is just a bunch of psycho babble, and we're Christians, and we're against this. Matter of fact, I saw someone writing on this on Twitter, because it's such a safe and sane place Twitter, but <laughs> someone was writing on emotional IQ from a spiritual, and some woman jumped in there and said these exact terms just three days ago. I'm like, and I just want you to, if you're a little suspicious, just hang on and see what you think of that. How about that? Let's do a little personal assessment of your emotional health. You ready? <laughs> I didn't sign up for that, but here we go. Do you say yes when you want to say no on a regular basis? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Do you have trouble speaking up when you disagree or prefer something else, even something as small as where you're going for dinner? Do you need the approval of others to feel good about yourself? Do you do for others what they can and should be doing for themselves? There's a term for that. It's called overfunctioning. And when we overfunction, there's usually an underfunctioner nearby. Now, let me just give you a little illustration because this is relevant to most of you in the room. As pastors' wives, sometimes we overfunction at home to make amends for what our husband is not able to do. And while at some level there's some help in that, until there's not help in that, does that make sense? That's what overfunctioning means. Are you resentful and tired because you regularly do it all? This kind of anger and resentment. Do you find it difficult to receive criticism? Are you afraid to admit your weaknesses and flaws? And so answers to those questions can be an indicator of your emotional health. How you responded and thought about yourself in those questions really does tell you where you are in emotional health. i have given you a couple definitions and some phrases that define emotional health. I think it would help you. The ability to identify and manage your emotions as well as recognize and identify the emotions of others. That's what emotional health is. It's the ability to, to identify how you're feeling, manage how you're feeling, and recognize that in other people. Emotional health is also our ability to cope with life events and how we acknowledge our emotions as well as those of others. Just like I said to you, walking through grief and that journey really made, this, made me aware that within the faith community, we're not good at grief and loss and lament. Emotional health is understanding and living out of the work of Jesus Christ through the cross and applying that to our emotions and our emotional needs. I hope at the end of the session, that phrase right there will be more clear to you. The gospel is the work of transformation in our life. And sanctification, which is the work of the gospel, sanctifying us, includes our emotions. A familiar verse, 1 Thessalonians five twenty three. Now may the God of peace sanctify you wholly, entirely. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved and be complete without blame at the coming of our Lord. And so Paul is referencing our entire whole being, spirit, body, and soul, that we would be we would be complete and we would be healthy. So let me give you four kind of basic statements about uh, emotional health. Number one, we're all born emotionally immature, everybody. Think babies, okay? Think toddlers, think two-year-olds, think three-year-olds, <laughs> think 14-year-old girls. I mean, we're all born emotionally immature every one of us the second thing is our upbringing and our family of origin has a great deal to do with our emotional maturity good or bad our parents emotional imprint on us is profound and it's difficult to overcome if it's been very negative and unhealthy i grew up in a home with a good amount of conflict and so i brought in at my marriage to rick at 19 years old i brought into that marriage the only way i'd ever seen conflict solved and it involved a lot of yelling and so do you see what i'm saying that's that's affecting my emotional health it's affecting how i process conflict and difficulty already it's ingrained in me the third important statements, health issues, emotional health issues, and mental health issues affect our daily emotional health. This is a big category, but it is an unavoidable category to talk about because this is a reality for many, 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 if not most. And many people struggle in this area, and many can find healing and freedom. Uh, but this is a big part of our emotional health, or the, the mental health issues alongside that. Um, but here's the truth about emotional health. While we physically mature, some people never really mature emotionally. It is God's desire that we have been brought to fullness in this area. And the last statement is the very most important one is our emotional health is connected to our spiritual brokenness and the work of Jesus Christ to restore and redeem us. Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitfully wicked. And so we're born with these longings that are meant to be only satisfied in Christ, but we will go after those longings outside of Christ and the work of the gospel to get those emotional needs met. And so... It's directly related to the brokenness of our soul that is caused that's caused that is caused because of the sin in our life. And so uh, the only hope is Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. The key to emotional maturity, the key to emotional maturity lies in understanding and living out the fruit of the work of a mature soul by the by the work of God, the work of Jesus Christ in our life. It's the transforming work of Jesus Christ that gets us to emotional health. And so when I look back on a pathway of some ways that I have seen God uh, sanctify my emotions, it was on a long ramp. It was on a long ramp of the transformational work of the gospel. Our spiritual maturity is what grows our emotional maturity. Our spiritual maturity is what grows our emotional maturity. Now, Peter Scazzaro and his wife, Jerry, done a great deal of work on this. He was a church planter in New York and was planting a church that was growing and thriving for about 10 or 12 years. He, by his own admission, was the most spiritually, I mean, most emotionally unhealthy person out there It created problems in their marriage and their church, and so he's written a lot of material on this, and he has this quote I've included in your document. You can't be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. Okay. You, you can't be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. Let me give you a little scenario, because our understanding of spiritual maturity is extremely important here. Listen to this little scenario, and see if this doesn't resonate with your understanding. A middle-aged church deacon who has a spiritual answer for everything. His kids left home at the first opportunity. They couldn't take his micromanagement and his constant put-downs any longer. He was a harsh and distant father. His wife has deteriorated into a doormat. He has quoted the same Bible verses for 30 years, often to point out how someone else is not following scripture. Yet his own personal life is filled with sexual indiscretions, financial cheating, and broken relationships. Now, did you hear what he was described as being? A middle-aged deacon. And so it's in our churches, we have a lot of people that would claim to be saved a long time and might consider themselves spiritually mature and might be perceived as being spiritually mature. But if they're filled with reoccurring patterns of constant emotional immaturity and unhealth they're not really spiritual mature does that does that make sense recently i was with some planners wives and i used and i kind of wish i had this illustration right now but i didn't think to bring it the age-old imagery of the tree of life which you have this tree coming out of the ground with this glorious green tree you know green leafy fruit And then you see the images of the fruits going down. You've seen that, the tree of life. Does that give you an idea how that spiritual maturity should affect emotional maturity? If roots are really, really going down deep into the word of God, into the power of the Holy Spirit, into community with other, transparent community with other people, those roots are really going down, the fruit will be born. Would you agree with that? I had some planner's life that had never seen it before and they thought that was like the best invention ever and I said, yeah, I made that up, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but fruit must be born and it will be born in our emotional maturity and I think you're gonna see this as we keep walking through it. Now, I've given you a list and we may spend just a little time here. This is straight from Peter Scalzero's work. Do you see your list here of these nine things? Emotional maturity allows us to do these things, this following list, name and recognize feelings. Name and recognize feelings. Now I'll be honest with you, when I married Ed, I moved to the Deep South at Mobile, Alabama. I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. I lived a lot of life in Denver, Colorado, and now I lived in Northwest Arkansas. South. I've never been in the Deep South, where in the Deep South, there is just um, the ability to be transparent and vulnerable is not baked into the cake of that culture. I mean, you may know what I'm talking about. Am I not telling the truth here? To name and recognize emotions. When I first married Ed, I was homesick a lot. And in the new marriage, you don't tell. At 53 years old, you don't get to tell your husband, "I'm homesick and I want to go home." I mean, you just don't get to, But I realized I had to learn to say that. I had to call it what it was and identify it in my own heart and I needed to share it with my husband. Does that make sense? Yes. So emotional maturity is when we are able to identify what we're really feeling and recognize it from within primarily, this we're talking about right here. The second thing is develop empathy, identifying and having compassion for others. Emotional maturity means that our hearts are open and vulnerable to the hurt of other people, and we lean in and listen to those stories, and we're demonstrating compassion and empathy. You've seen people that cannot do this at all, have you not? It's hurtful, isn't it? It's very hurtful, and yet there's something in them that makes that very hard for them to do the third thing is initiate and maintain meaningful relationships initiating relationships is easy for most not at all easy for most maintaining relationships is another thing it means you are you are in that relationship and the ups and downs the highs and lows and everything in between and, and you don't walk away after one little disagreement and so, maintaining meaningful—maintaining is important, and meaningful is also important. Four, break free from destructive thought patterns. Yeah. This is this is striking at the heart of emotional, I mean, mental and emotional health. Right here, there are some things that have been patterns because of something that happened to us when we were children, something that we saw our parents do, or just not even that deep just this is how i've always been and i'm a stubborn cuss and i'm not stop doing it do you know what i mean this is who i am can't do anything about it that's not a healthy attitude on a spiritual level or on emotional health level <clears throat> break free from destructive thought patterns five is express thoughts clearly that's pretty self-explanatory Six, learn how the past impacts the present. Now, this is where a lot of people can start thinking something's about psychobabble. But we know far more than we used to know about psychology of children, don't we? Amen. And there's some imprints on some of you and some of in, in my story. I came home from school and I was in fifth grade and my mom was passed out. She tried to take her life. So I have to go back to some things in my childhood and understand that there are some things in the past that affect me today. What happened back then, it's not healthy if we don't. The seventh thing is clearly, directly, and respectfully ask what we need, want, or prefer. This is what they can't do in the South, it feels like the deep South. Clearly say um, what you need, with respect, saying what you need, want, and prefer. Is that hard? It can be really, really hard, but we're not helping anybody when we don't communicate. And the last one is accurately assessing our own strengths, limits, and weaknesses, and freely share those with others. That's not the last one, one more. I'm gonna say something. All we have to say about that one is the gospel. If you and I cannot talk about our weaknesses, our sins, and our failures freely because we're embarrassed or we're shameful, we don't quite understand the gospel to the depth of I don't have to cover my sin to you. God knows my sin. Why do I just pretend like there isn't any over here? And then the last one is, this is a big one for church families and family, families. Develop the capacity to maturely resolve conflict. To, to have a conflict that doesn't turn into a knockdown, out thing. So you see, these are the habits of emotionally healthy people. Now I want to remind you that God gave us our emotions. And not only did God give us emotions, we have a God that experiences themself. He experienced anger. God the Son weeps. The Spirit of God grieves. And so he is an emotional being. And we are created in the image of God. God created us in his image. Uh, John Piper said that God's emotional life is infinitely complex beyond our ability to fully comprehend it. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have one. And so God gives us emotion, and yet we We have sin in the mix of that. And so uh, we often, when our emotions come, we're talking this in a minute, it can drive us to sin. But God never sinned. Our emotions have a purpose. Our emotions can be used for his glory. What do you think about that? Our emotions can be used for his glory. I think even when I was grieving, somehow I was glorifying God. And I think now when I taste such sweet joy in life and that, that thing of grief has moved, not completely away, not completely. That has moved and there's joy. Just like the grief glorifies God, the joy glorifies God. Right. Yes. They have a purpose. And you know, we're, we're given emotions for a reason the The root word of the word emotion is motare, and it's a Latin word that means to move, and, and that that says to us implicit in that that word is that the tendency to act comes along with emotions. Does that make sense? It drives us somewhere, and so in essence, our emotions are inclinations to react. And God designed our emotions to put us into motion. Um, But we don't always act well on those emotions, right? Think about the emotion of fear. The emotion of fear is not a negative emotion. It doesn't have any implications. But fear can help us run from a burning building. Fear of someone being in your house may discover someone is in your house. You see what I'm saying? Fear can also make you crazy and mean, and you know what I mean? Fear can cause us to do, we can have an ungodly fear, fear of, of just things that, that make us move and, and do things. I mean, there's a lot of sin that happens out of fear. I, I work with high school girls, and being around this population, they're just young enough to make a lot of decisions driven by fear. You see where I'm going there? They're making a lot of decisions driven by fear, and, and they don't need to. William Finner says, the affection are the feet of the soul. As the body goes with its feet, so will the soul drive us to do things, and that's what those, that's what our emotions can do. Now, when we think about emotions, there are two really unhealthy poles of how we interact with our emotions. One is, extreme one is emotionalism. Very emotional, pe- people where our feelings are used to interpret our circumstances and they also dictate our responses that's a very emotional person the other polar opposite way over here this extreme is stoicism we would call those persons those people that have all had and no heart and emotion is derided and really it's to be avoided Let's talk about emotionalism first, where our feelings are used to interpret our circumstances and dictate responses. They ex- these people express their moves way over here. They express their moves without control or concern for others. Now, what I want to point out on this scale, we're all somewhere in here. Either the extreme of stoicism, or this person that's driven by emotions. We're all somewhere, and we probably try. We probably kind of lean one way or the other. Do you see where you are? Which side you're leaning on? Stoic or emotionalism? We're we're all kind of wired that way. Um, But if we're on the emotionalism side, we have to be careful not to let our feelings drive our lives. We've all got some favorite quotes on this kind of talk. When I was in Denver, Shirley Dobson said this, I've never forgotten. The training of emotions is in the discipline of the responses. Other words,
0: I'm not going to train my emotions. I'm going to train the response to my emotions.